PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media, and welcome to Weed Talk News. In our top story this week, the Deep South just got a little greener. Officials in Georgia have just decided to award two medical cannabis licenses in that state to Botanical Sciences, LLC, and Trulieve Georgia Incorporated. The licenses authorize the companies to grow, manufacture, and sell cannabis oil with no more than 5% THC. And while that's not much, it's more than Georgia's had up to this point. Trulieve released a statement expressing their excitement, saying in part, the Georgia team is hard at work to begin operations as soon as possible to ensure those in need have access to our line of products. So it'll be interesting to watch and see if companies besides large multi-state operators will be able to get in on this groundbreaking move. Meanwhile, midterm election season is rapidly approaching and the fate of cannabis is up for a vote in several states. But for some others, the road to greener pastures is being cut short for now. People in Oklahoma will not get the chance to vote on widespread legislation come November. And that's because the state Supreme Court has rejected a lawsuit seeking to secure a spot for adult use cannabis on the ballot. Activists even turned in enough signatures to qualify for a vote, but lawmakers say the campaign missed certain procedural deadlines, which prompted the lawsuit. However, the justice's decision will allow for the initiative to go up for a vote during the state's next general or special election. And in an odd move, Thursday afternoon, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt reportedly told the Associated Press that he doesn't think legalization is right for Oklahoma, but that he does support reform at the federal level. So why a governor would want legal cannabis for everyone but his own constituents is beyond me. In the Midwest, lawmakers in Indiana are considering a future for legal cannabis. The Indiana Capitol Chronicle reported on the hearing held Tuesday during which lawmakers heard testimony both for and against legalization of cannabis, as well as the cannabinoid Delta-8 THC. While the Chronicle reports the meeting ended fairly abruptly, Discussion is expected to continue next month, and it could be a precursor to legalizing the plant itself for recreational use in Indiana. Next door, in Illinois, some companies are getting ready to make the switch from medical only to recreational sales. Thomas Howard joins us with the details. Hi, I'm Tom with Cannabis Legalization News here for the Illinois Report on Weed Talk News. Uh, it was a fairly large week in uh, Illinois cannabis with updates on both the dispensary and also the uh, Department of Agriculture and even the legislative uh, sections of the industry. First, let's go to what happened in the Department of Agriculture. They had an update to a rule interpretation and a clarification that infusers are actually allowed to sell vape products. Up until this point, it appeared that infusers could not sell vape products. However, a new uh, piece that came out of the Illinois Department of Agriculture said that that's no longer the case. Yes, they can. Uh, hopefully that will help the infusers get stood up. Unfortunately, they still cannot create what would go in 
to the vape cartridge. They're going to have to source the oil from a craft grower or one of the 21 cultivation licenses in the state. Uh, and then there were updates in the legislative section, as I believe it's HB 4097, continues to have a lot of support. This is the bill that would change certain aspects of the Illinois rules when it comes to their smaller grow processor license, which is called the craft grower license. Pretty great license to have, actually. It allows you up to 14,000 square feet of cultivation canopy, plus it allows you to uh, extract from your canopy space. So you could, in theory, even contract with other craft growers uh, that may not want to do the extraction aspect of the industry. And that bill would allow it to go straight to the 14,000. Currently, you have to start at 5,000 square foot of flowering canopy and work your way up to the 14,000 with the approval of the Illinois Department of Agriculture. Uh, this bill would change that and just move it immediately to the 14,000 square feet. Plus, it would allow for co-location, which would get rid of a 15 hundred foot distance requirement between two craft growers to hopefully provide some economies of scale. As you may or may not be aware, you are allowed to own three of these craft grower licenses. So in theory, if you stack them all together and co-located them, you could have a 42,000 square foot flowering canopy size, which can make quite a bit of cannabis, probably uh, 24,000 pounds if you really know what you're doing with the licenses. Uh, then the Department of Illinois Financial and Professional Regulation, uh, they have also come out with some new stuff for the conditional license holders that have their dispensary license. They have a whole mess of new forms in what they are calling the 15-36 application packet. The uh, conditional license isn't the end of the licensing process, as people in New Jersey and in Illinois are now aware for the dispensaries. Uh, they now have to get converted into their operational annual license, and the state of Illinois has provided detailed instructions for how the 185 uh, current conditional dispensary holder, <coughs> excuse me, current dispensary owners can become operational. This is the process and procedure that the conditional license holders will use to be able to become operational. They've issued them. How many different exhibits did they put in it? There are at least five. So there's uh, Exhibit A, Table of Organization and POs, that's Principal Officers. Exhibit B, Notice of Power, Proper Zoning and uh, Addenda. Exhibit C, Proposed Floor Plan. That's right. They had two floor plans because they did the licensing in the first place with a hypothetical floor plan, and now you can create your actual floor plan. You then also need Exhibit D, a surety bond. Exhibit E is a material changes attestation, and Exhibit F is your escrow account waiver form, which is optional if you qualify. Now, all of these uh, 185 license holders can race to get open for business, which should make the $3 trillion, nope, $3 billion that Illinois has sold go up quite substantially. Because right now, even though Illinois is on track to sell about $1.5 billion of cannabis in 2022, it can only do so at 110 locations. This would more than double the number of locations and make it much easier for people to go and buy cannabis in the state of Illinois. And we hope that uh, that is what we get a report on uh, coming into 2023 and beyond. Uh, once again, it's me, Tom.
Cannabis Legalization News reporting on Illinois, and I hope to have more for you when it develops. There are some lawsuits, but those aren't really um, doing anything right now. We'll have more in October. Thanks. California was once the golden standard for the legal cannabis market, but the state has struggled in recent years with huge tax barriers, making it tough to compete and illicit operations, keeping the black market thriving. But it looks like some changes are finally coming in a big way. Our new California correspondent, Tom Hunters, has that story and more from the Golden State. Hello, I'm Tom Hunters with StuffStonersLike.com for Weed Talk News, and I'm here with your California Cannabis Report for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. The California cannabis scene has been in disarray since adult use passed, but Governor Newsom is trying to change that with one stroke of his pen. The governor signed 10 changes into law this week. The biggest changes are with interstate commerce, employee protections for adult users, getting convictions sealed, and preventing the blocking of open commerce in towns. These are the biggest changes in the laws in the state since adult use was legalized with Proposition 64. 94% of California cannabis cultivation at risk from wildfires by the end of the century. More than 94% of California's existing cannabis cultivation area is at risk of experiencing wildfires by the year 2100, according to a report published by researchers at the University of California at Berkeley. Nearly all of the state's cannabis cultivation area, 94.4%, was located in areas identified as projected burn pattern hotspots, the report states. No other agricultural type exceeded 25% of cultivation areas in these burn pattern categories. Cookies has partnered with Serona Labs on new products. California cannabis giant Cookies has partnered with New York-based Serona Labs to reformulate its on-the-shelf cannabis products. Plans to launch a range of infused products later this fall, including beverages, capsules, tinctures, and topicals. These products will each contain a variety of cannabinoids and terpenes supported by Serona's research and development of emulsions and powders. And that's the news for September 23rd. I'm Tom Hunters from Stuff Stoners Like. Keep it real with We Talk News. Last week, we told you about a new bill introduced on Capitol Hill aiming to allow small cannabis businesses to ship their products over state lines. And it looks like we're still a long way from federal reform and that possibility becoming reality. And now one state is closing off its doors to out-of-state investors and operators, at least for now. Josh Kincaid has the story from Washington State. I'm Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. No out-of-state ownership of cannabis businesses in Washington State for now. State residency requirements were implemented to meet three specific goals. One, to ensure state residents receive the economic benefit from the cannabis industry. Two, to deter conversion to the black market. And three, is to avoid retaliation by the federal government. However, a recent flurry of challenges are based on the dormant Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. There's proposed rule changes by Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board that would allow for out-of-state financiers as well as out-of-state ownership of cannabis businesses. But on one side, those are saying those outside investors are needed to sustain some small companies. And on the other side, those who assert that outside ownership would put the entire industry at risk, citing that there's been more cannabis arrests under the Biden administration than Trump's previous administration. The Dormant Commerce Clause raises concerns when regulatory measures are designed to benefit in-state economic interests 
by burdening out-of-state competitors. And for that reason, several trial courts have determined that certain residency requirements for cannabis licensing are likely unconstitutional under the Dormant Commerce Clause. So will Washington open their doors for out-of-state investors and operators? You're going to have to come back to Weed Talk News to find out. But with that, we're going to have to roll up this Washington State Cannabis Report. I'm Josh Kincaid from the Talking Heads reporting for Weed Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. While there's lots of action happening at the state level, we're still waiting for Congress to tackle cannabis reform in any meaningful way. Well, Marijuana Moment reports that House Majority Leader Chuck Schumer isn't giving up hope on financial reform. Ed Perlmutter, the House sponsor of the Safe Banking Act, says he recently spoke with Schumer about the need to enact the bill this session. Vote Pro Podcast, Phil Adams, is in Washington, D.C. with the latest on what's happening there. Hi, I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast, here with the Weed Talk News D.C. report. The House Judiciary Committee has approved a proposal to clear the records of people with prior federal marijuana convictions. As part of a series of criminal justice reform bills, the committee also approved a measure to provide funding for states that conduct automatic expungements of nonviolent drug offenses. The committee's action on these measures comes several months after the cannabis legalization bill, the Moore Act, was passed by the House for the second time. That legislation also includes provisions for expungement of prior cannabis convictions. Colorado Congressman Ed Perlmutter, longtime champion of the Safe and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, says he's received assurances from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer that cannabis banking reform is still a priority in the upper chamber. With his comprehensive legalization bill now looking less likely to pass the Senate this session, Schumer insists he's still intent on bringing some form of cannabis reform to the Senate floor in the coming months. To date, the Safe Banking Act has passed the House of Representatives in various forms seven times, but is yet to be taken up by the Senate. Two GOP House members are demanding answers from the Food and Drug Administration on the lack of federal regulations regarding CBD. In a letter to the FDA Commissioner Robert Califf, Representatives Morgan Griffith of Virginia and Brett Guthrie of Kentucky expressed concerns about the delay in establishing federal rules governing CBD as a food item and dietary supplement. The lawmakers said that while they understand the need to collect scientific data on the effects of CBD products, they point out that hemp and its derivative, cannabidiol, have been federally legal since the Farm Bill was passed in 2018. In a recent tweet, Morgan said, quote, Representative Guthrie and I want to know how and why the agency has fallen short and what it's doing to improve. That's the Weed Talk News DC report for this week. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast. If the United States wants to see what the impact of federal legalization can do, you need look no further than the Great White North. Reuters reports that officials in Canada have launched a review of the country's legalization of recreational cannabis over the past four years. The review will look at the impact on youth, indigenous minorities, as well as analyze its effect on the economy and the illicit market. So let's check in with Debbie Facey for the latest from Canada this week. Hi, this is Debbie Facey, your Canadian correspondent with We Talk News with your weekly Canadian joint of the week. This week, what we have going on in Canada 
is Vancouver finally had gotten the green light in order to go ahead when it came to their pandemic issue with addictions and the homeless when it came to prescription and the illicit drugs. High Hopes, which is a not-for-profit in Vancouver, is now able to work alongside with the manufacturers directly when it comes to obtaining these legal drugs when, in order to help these addicts wean off some of the prescription drugs such as fentanyl and start going on to more of a positive choice such as cannabis and it be hopefully medically covered as well. What we also have in the news is Aurora having a huge hit after their BC companies and the cyber attack that happened in August, where they are going to be seeing close to a $3 million hit due to the decline of sales and the amount of workers that had to be let off and stores that had to be closed down due to the shipment not being able to get to the stores to fill the shelves, and also due to the cyber attack alone, suffering and creating problems when it came to the two, three days for the OCS to clear up the issues. On the 17th of September, we had a wonderful bust in the Cincinnati location in the United States where $1.5 million of street value of cannabis was seized. Sorry for my laughter. It was seized from Canada going to the UK. This was found in a shipment of humidifiers, 187 kilograms had been jammed into a variety of humidifiers going over to the UK in order to fulfill the needs of our UK smokers. Now, as we do know and should know, regardless if a country or a province has allowed the use of cannabis, it does not mean that it is allowed to be traveled with. That being said, in a car, boat, plane, pocket, shoe, hair, hat, basically anywhere on your person, if you are going to be traveling somewhere else that is not within your jurisdiction where it is legal, it is against the law. Regardless if it is legal in the place or state or province that you are traveling to. So, once again, when it comes to this amazing drug bust, it is something as a reminder for us to realize that as legalization does proceed and progress, it does have the parameters where it comes to traveling and when it comes to the jurisdiction within each province and state. That means that we can still become an arrested felon. 
Once again, this is Debbie Stacey from We Talk News, coming at you with the Canadian Joint of the Week. One of Canada's largest legal companies, Aurora Cannabis, may be looking to expand operations, despite a recent drop in profits. Deborah Borchardt has all the details in this week's Green Market Report. This is the Weed Talk News business update from the Green Market Report. This week, Aurora Cannabis reported that its fourth quarter net revenue for medical cannabis increased 4% year over year to $36.6 million. But their adult use cannabis revenue fell 35% year over year to $12.6 million. Now, sequentially, sales of adult use cannabis increased 22%, and the company said that was primarily due to sales from its profitable acquisition of Thrive Cannabis. C21 Investments said revenue slowed in Nevada due to fewer tourists and local spending as wallets get tighter. The company posted revenue of $7.2 million. That was down 4% sequentially, and they said it was narrowly outperforming Nevada market sales, which saw an overall decline of 5% in total sales over the same time period. Now, C21 says it's going to pivot away from that tourist traffic and focus more on locals. And finally, Northern Lights Acquisition Corp. revealed that it needs a few extra weeks to deliver that $70 million that it owes Safe Harbor Financial under the terms of a deal signed back in February. The cash is now due on September 28th instead of August 31st, but the delay is only due to both parties waiting on approval from the NASDAQ, and they said it does not mean that the deal is in danger. And that is your business update. I'm Deborah Borchart from The Green Market Report. More equity seems to be coming to Massachusetts. Since our last episode, two Black-owned brands have launched in the greater Boston area. And our producer, Tori Chamberlain, was there for the grand opening of one. Hey guys, it's Weed Talk News producer Tori Chamberlain here with your Bay State report for this week. And the biggest thing I want to let you know about is about some new brands launching in Massachusetts that are minority-owned. Boston officially has its first Black female-owned cannabis retail shop. Nike John is the owner of the Heritage Club, and she just opened up shop in Cambridge, which is not too far from the greater downtown Boston area. I have not had a chance to get over to the club yet, but the products on her website look great. So does the pricing. And like I said, this is Boston's and Massachusetts first shop ever owned by a black woman. So the next time you're in Cambridge, make sure you make a stop to check it out. I'm going to be doing the same. And if you just so happen to be in Cambridge, another shop you might want to check out is Commonwealth Alternative Care. They just opened their doors as a medical shop last week, and I was there for the grand opening. Guess who else was? None other than College Hall of Famer Ricky Williams. Ricky is the owner of the Heisman brand, which he's now launching in Massachusetts in conjunction with Tilt Holdings. And I got the chance to sit down with Ricky and Tilt CEO Gary Santo to talk about this exciting project. We tend to shy away from celebrity endorsed products in general because they typically don't have a lot of depth to them. It's just about a name and a face and for 15 minutes they sell great and then they fade off into the sunset. And you know, I think from the first time when we met Ricky and his team and they pitched us on what they were trying to do, we knew that this was not a typical celebrity endorsed product. There was the depth here, there was an intent and how they wanted to roll that brand out and really the use case and the medicinal value. Uh, I think that was all music to our ears. Uh, so we looked for ways to try to figure out, you know, when are they coming? When are they going to be ready to come east? We knew we wanted to beat their partner. The biggest thing is the, is the stigma because as a professional athlete, 
as a college athlete, as a high school athlete, cannabis has been associated with like losing everything. And, and I think, you know, for athletes to be able to really appreciate the benefits of cannabis, have to get over that stigma. And so I think that's first, first and foremost. And I think once, once we do that and athletes start to have their own experiences, they're gonna figure out for themselves. And so many retired athletes that I've spoken to have said the same thing. I wish I knew about this earlier. I wish I knew about this earlier. It's so great to see minority-owned brands flourishing in Massachusetts, and with the recent Equity Act passed here, we can only expect to see more of those. And finally, Boston is wrapping up its Boston Cannabis Week this year, an annual event that brings together all members of the industry from fashion to food and everything else. I'll be going to check out the final day today and report back to you next week. For now, that's all for the Bay State Report. I'm Tori Chamberlain for Weed Talk News. Finally, the wheels on the bus could turn the tables in Texas when it comes to legalization. Fox 4 News reports that Austin-based company Good Blend is bringing a dispensary on wheels right to the Texans' front doors to help educate them about the plant. The 36-foot cannabis features a pr oh that's cute. Cannabis features a private consultation room, an outdoor education exhibition, and plenty of products to peep. The group running the bus say they hope they can show Texans the process to get a medical marijuana prescription and teach them about policy in the state. We are so excited for our friends in Texas and all the other states moving closer and closer to legalization. After all, it's a whole new world of weed out there, so use it wisely. That's it for Weed Talk News this week. I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media, and we will see you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.